Hey guys, welcome back to Napalm and Friends. And I know I always say this, but I am excited for this week's guest. He played rhythm guitar for the Phantom Five, is a fashion aficionado, beer connoisseur, vinyl junkie, and overall great guy, Bill Luther. Thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time and sitting here with a shack. No, thank you. It's an honor to be here. And before we dive into your blog full of like hidden gems and history, and your time with the Phantom Five, how did you find rock and roll? Um, I'll try not to be too long-winded because I can be a little, unfortunately, too passionate about the subject. <laughs> um, I discovered rock and roll. Um, I mean, I have memories of rock and roll, obviously, but I, I really don't think I really discovered it as far as a quest until uh, in about 1975, I was nine years old, the monkeys were uh, syndicated on television after school. And I became completely enamored with their music. And my mother, um, who was, you know, pretty unhip, still <laughs> said, hey, I don't have any records by the monkeys, but I have these records by these four other guys called the Beatles. And she presented me with like three destroyed Beatle albums, which is really sad because these records weren't even 10 years old and they were just trashed, you know? Right. And uh, it started with air, you know? And then I had another aunt, my, my my dad's sister, who gave me her 45 collection, maybe when I was, maybe like two or three years after that. And so she gave me all this great semi, I'm not obscure, but great British invasion stuff that weren't the Beatles or the Stones and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, how did you feel like digging through the 45s that your aunt gave you? Um, like I was on a quest. Um, even then I was like kind of attuned to, you know, being an Anglophile musically. And so she had like the animals and Herman's Hermits and the Dave Clark Five and just stuff like that. And I think around the same time or maybe shortly later, a, a friend I went to elementary school with, we were in like sixth grade or so, just let me at his dad's record collection. And his dad had like Donovan and the Searchers and, you know, and it just it turned into this almost religious fervor, you know, and I could get snippets of it on oldies radio station that was out of New York called CBS FM. And, you know, I would I would write these lists of all the songs I heard and, you know, try and find them. And, you know, sometimes it took, you know, until adulthood to find some of them. But, you know, Oof. No, I bet. And uh, I mean, obviously the listeners can't see uh, where you're at, but you have this impressive collection behind you, like boxes and boxes of records. Uh, you also have a Discogs. Uh, you also sell records or do you just purchase or? Yep. No, I, I buy and sell. It's, it's a really horrible, you know, it's like that, that uh, drug commercial where the guy like I do more coke so I can make more money so I can buy more drugs. And that's kind of me and records, you know, I, I sell records so I can make more money to buy more records, you know? Yeah. Uh, I will say for the listeners, I will be adding the link in the bio to your Instagram, uh, your discogs and your uh, blog. Cause there's just so much. so much great stuff on there. I was digging uh, through your blog and, you know, I think it's just so obvious that this is, your passion, you know, kind of digging through music and history. So I think whoever's listening, like definitely check it out. It is well worth your time. You're going to learn something new. 
Like I know I I sure have. Like just kind of just briefly scrolling through this. So I need to spend like a couple of days reading through it. Oh, thank you. You'll have to excuse all the horrible grammar and spelling <laughs> errors and things where, you know, maybe I probably shouldn't have been sitting down at the keyboard at the time and just clattered <laughs> off this nonsense, you know. And I'm constantly being corrected. One of the really nice things about you know the blog and the internet is people who played on the records will sometimes reach out via the comment section and be like you know hey john paul jones did not play bass on this song you know i played on it it was a rumor blah 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 and so you know i'll always add that at the end of the article and you know because unfortunately i don't really have the time or the or the wherewithal to, to track all these people down i mean i i have tried there have been people from unnamed bands i've been playing you know email yeah. catch up with for and the sad thing is i started all this during the pandemic because i thought hey this would be a great time to track some of these people down and and only one one guy has ever come through for me you know and, and that was it so Oof. i mean that, again definitely a, a labor of love at that point and then like speaking of artists you also play guitar you played for the phantom five like how did you first pick up guitar um, my dad had a guitar um, that he bought in the early 60s. So, of course, when I started watching the monkeys, that came out of the attic and, you know, was a prop for, you know, I don't even think I had a bedroom mirror. So I think it was just a prop for, you know, vamping with this guitar. And, and then eventually uh, in high school, my aunt uh, gave me money for uh, weekly guitar lessons uh, from some old Italian gentleman who played in like a wedding band named Frank, you know. <laughs> And uh, I was, I, I make no, mis you know, excuse. I was a horrible musician. I should have never been a musician. And I think at some point in my life, I realized I was much better uh, listening to and appreciating it than inflicting it on people. But, you know, I had fun at the time, so. Yeah. Uh, and then how did the Phantom Five come about? The Phantom Five actually came about because I had a fanzine uh, in about 1985 with a friend of mine named Rudy Rosinski. It was kind of a 60s uh, British psychedelia garage fanzine called Stranger Than Fiction. And the next town over, there was this guy named Larry Grogan, who now has a blog and a radio uh, show called Funky 16 Corners. Larry was one town away uh, doing a similar fanzine, mostly American garage stuff called Incognito. and. And both of our fanzines were for sale in a record store owned by one of the smithereens, a guy named Jim Bagjack. And he kind of cross-promoted our fanzine to, to Larry and I, and we, we met up. We actually met up in, at a gig in New York City, which was kind of funny considering we were literally like 10 miles apart. <laughs> and uh, Larry and his brothers um, were knocking around, you know, playing literally in a garage, playing 60s garage music. and. I joined and we started this band called the Phantom Five, you know, who were, you know, I don't really know when I was with the band if I would consider we played any gigs, you know, real gigs, you know, like I don't ever remember playing in a club, you know, we always played parties or somebody's basement that was converted into a youth club, you know, all very, you know, ramshackle. I'll admit, like, because uh, I, I would go to like backyard shows or just like warehouse shows. Those are usually the best ones. <laughs> like I've gone to music venues and don't get me wrong, like I have nothing against it, but it's usually like, I don't know, those like little DIY spots where it's like, nah, that's that's where it's really at. 
Um, and then I also noticed through my stalking of your page, you are also a photographer. Like you would just kind of post these random photos that you took when you guys were, I guess, kind of like doing a, a small tour. I believe you guys were in Mexico for a bit or? Um, that was when I, a friend of mine and I made a trip out to San Diego in 1989. And, and uh, a guy in San Diego uh, named Bart Mendoza, who uh, has this mod band called Manual Scan, uh, Bart was like the San Diego Bureau of Hospitality. So anybody that went out to San Diego, like Bart took them to Tijuana. Because, you know, apparently back in the day, Tijuana was a really great place to score vintage clothes and records. But by the time we got there in 1989, there was there was none of that, you know, mm -hmm. but it was nice, you know. Um, but I always had a camera with me. Like, um, I got that idea from my friend Rudy, who, uh, who I started that fanzine with, and he was an amazing photographer. And he took all these great shots with just a Canon Sure Shot, which was just like a little instant focus 35 millimeter no lens to mess with and i just you know much like people do now i just you know i wanted to remember and document you know my life especially like my friends and i and you know it'd always be a case of you know go to see a band and i take pictures of the band and you know it's kind of interesting because there's a guy uh who i met through instagram uh, named sam knee who has these uh, amazing books on uh, youth subcultures in the 80s called Scene In Between. That's also the name of his Instagram page. And he's actually going to use uh, one of my photos in his next book, which is uh, basically going to focus on 80s American indie bands. So Ooh, congrats. That sounds I look forward to seeing that when that's published, because uh, that's something I did notice where I was like, these are really great shots. I noticed that, you know, there were oh, some warehouse you. gigs and, you know, just you and your friends and then just like band pictures and I thought they were just amazing. I mean, granted, I don't know much about photography, but I know visually what I like. Um, and then to kind of go off of that, I noticed, and also mentioning uh, vintage clothes, you have this amazing style. Like you just are able to like curate your wardrobe. Thank you. So what's with the fascination with that? Or, you know, what's your relationship with vintage clothes? I, I don't, I will say I don't wear as many vintage clothes just because of my age and it's really hard to find a lot of stuff. A lot of that stuff, you know, what people sometimes fail to remember is that a lot of the certainly more colorful things were not made for a guy with a body of a 55 year old, but you know, <laughs> rather teenagers. Um, but I mean, I do, there are certain things that I, that I do really appreciate, you know, still. I mean, there are things that I, I will admit that I, you know, I don't wear so much anymore because I just, again, goes back to that thing of, okay, these clothes are designed for teenagers and I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable being 55 in, in this, you know, and not that I'm down on that. That's your personal choice. But me, I, I think I progressively have been uh, in rehearsal for dressing like an old man for the last, you know, 30 <laughs> years because I wear a lot of patterned shirts and sweaters and, you know, suede shoes, you know, I don't know. So what is it, uh, well, I guess when you would wear, because you always dressed sharp, like in photos that I had seen. Oh, thank you. You know, you have this, again, this really great style. Like, what is it or what was it that you looked for when you would just dig through these racks? Um, my big thing was, and, and it still carried over into adulthood, like as this young mod guy, like all the jackets had to be three or four buttons, you know? Uh, 
and I would get these great suits, these vintage three-button suits in thrift stores, and I would wind up spending more money than I paid having them altered. You know, I'm taking in having the pants tapered to these ridiculous skinny, you know, things that I would wear over a pair of suede Chelsea boots or Beetle boots or suede hush puppies. You know, and I would study these photos of like bands I liked, you know, and see that they did some combination of like, uh, oh, you know, I saw this picture of Mick Jagger wearing these patterned trousers and he had this ribbed white turtleneck. So I would try and find those and then I'd try and find the shoes. And, you know, it, it got a little insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it paid off because it looks fantastic. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, if eventually you develop your own style and you don't, you know, go mimicking. But I mean, I still, I still have a fondness for, you know, pattern trousers, not really loud ones, but just like a tight houndstooth, you know. Um, I love yeah. uh, old, you know, what look like frumpy old English guy sweaters, you know. <laughs> well, again, it looks fantastic and I love your style. It's something that definitely stood out to me. And, you know, it's also something that you share on Instagram. So again, whoever's listening, give them a follow because there's just like so many elements to who you are. And I just think it's so interesting.
because you're also a beer connoisseur. Like, um, you will post all these different beers, and I don't know much about beer. Like, I would always joke around where it's like, oh, I'm just an opportunist. Like, I'll just drink whatever's there. Like, I'm not very picky. But you will share like what exactly it is, and how like, oh, like that looks interesting, or it's like, oh, that bottle looks cool. Is there any records where you say like you need a specific drink to go with it when you listen to it, or like is there just is there a method to the madness? Um, well, I think lately I've just been drinking a lot of uh, Belgian ale uh, around the house because uh, a I like its taste, b it packs a pretty heavy punch, so it gives you a nice warm and fuzzy feeling. Um, I'm a huge Small Faces fan. And their second album is probably one of my favorite albums. And I kind of feel like I need to have some kind of uh, beer that makes you feel fuzzy and warm while listening to that, you know? Um, That's fair. That makes sense. But other than that, um, like I'm currently drinking a, uh, a bottle of Trader Joe's knockoff Mexican beer because it's warmer. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get something Mexican and I'm gonna stick a lime in it. And, you know, it's not as heavy as the, the Belgian and English stuff that I drink and post, yeah. you know, all winter long. <laughs> hey, as long as it gets the job done. Oh, um, there was something I did want to ask you with your time with uh, the Phantom Five. Sure. What has been the most memorable show that you've played? Wow. Um, this is awful, but I, <laughs> it, it's kind of all a blur, you know, because I was 19, <laughs> 20, you know. Um, and uh, like I said, we always just, I, I think I always had a good time. Uh, there were several gigs that have all kind of merged into one in my brain. There was a guy named Martin who lived in a town called Red Bank and he had turned his basement into this youth club and Martin was like a high school senior. He painted all the walls black. He had day glow paint. He had black lights everywhere. And uh, he had some friends that had a PA system and the Phantom Five were kind of like the house band, you know, we would just show up and play and, yeah. Um, you know, it was a pretty innocent scene. There were a couple of people obviously were dabbling in drugs, but everyone was underage, so there was no drinking there outright. There was plenty of illicit drinking going on in his driveway, I'm sure. But you know, that was kind of like our little our little scene. Like all of our friends would come and so we had a ready made audience. So I think I think those gigs are definitely the memorable ones. You know, oh, definitely. If I dig deep. <laughs> No, it sounds like it. Again, it's always like those little, the small gigs that are in someone's backyard or basement at that. Um, well, I mean, I guess my experience, because I'm in California, we don't have basements. It's like just whoever we can get someone's parents to say yes to letting us use their backyard, that's where we were at. Um, so just a question that I ask across the board to every guest is, if you had to put together a class curriculum, what book, film, and album would be on your class syllabus? Okay. Uh, I had to think hard on this because you gave it to me in advance. Um, my favorite film uh, uh, would have to be a 1971 film with Michael Caine called Get Carter. Uh, about a London gangster who goes back home to Newcastle to investigate his brother's suspicious death. Uh, it's stylish, it's gritty, it has an amazing uh, soundtrack by a British uh, kind of jazz musician named Roy Budd. Um, it has a great theme song, it has Michael Caine just being completely ruthless and vicious. Um, and uh, it's on HBO right now. I'm really pleased. So I can like mm. tell people, I've been telling people it's on HBO. If you hadn't seen it, watch it. So that's my message. Um, 
let's see um album i'm in a constant struggle in my brain for the number one album to it's the earlier mentioned second small faces album or perhaps uh the first david bowie album which is just called david bowie and it's from 1967. Uh, both of those albums are from 1967. um and i i think they're both if you know if you're interested in where i'm at i think those two albums are very good uh points um for a book um that's another rough one um so i'm just gonna take uh take a stab out there and uh say my favorite book is probably um god this is awful because i've got all these george orwell titles bouncing around in in my brain um I think I'm just going to say 1984. I know that's really common. You know, it's not the most obscurest Orwell book, but I first read it in high school because I used to read interviews with Paul Weller from The Jam, and he was always talking about Orwell. So I'm like, all right, I got to check Orwell out. And I hate to get political because I'm not remotely political. I'm very private politically, but I will say that 1984... has a lot to teach us about the world we live in probably both when it was written and i think even more so now so no definitely i think that is a book that really does it stands the test of time um and then it's funny because you also bring up bowie i from what i recall bowie actually wrote a song in honor of 1984 and he actually wanted to do a play yeah but it was like shut down and he goes okay fine i'll do an album yeah orwell orwell's what um orwell's widow would not give him authorization to uh to turn 1984 into a a musical or whatever he wanted to do with it at least that's the story goes you know never let the truth get in the way of a good rock and roll tale oh yeah but uh it's a fantastic uh i think it was diamond dogs yes yeah it was not yeah okay Oh, okay. my memory is killing me. <laughs> no, no, please. Who, who can quote this stuff? <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, those are fantastic suggestions. And, you know, I, I can stand behind them where it's like, yeah, like, this, this is a pretty solid class curriculum, like uh, class syllabus. Yeah, I liked it. It was an interesting question. I, no one's ever asked me something like that before. So it was kind of fun to try and craft an answer. I'm so glad. I know usually that question is like hit or miss with guests. It's like either they like tell me that they had to really sit down and like think about it. And other people are just saying it's like, I'm struggling. I don't want to answer it. (laughs) Uh, So it's like, no, I I like throwing it in there because I like seeing people's recommendations. Uh, And I will have to admit, I did completely rip it off from, um, I believe it was an interview with Henry Rollins from Black Flag. And they asked him that question. And I was like, I think that is just such a beautiful layered question and I just I had to throw that in there with my guests where I'm like let me make you guys sweat bullets (laughs) there's no shame in that I had a fanzine in the 80s and the 90s of my own called Smash Blocked and I used to steal these ideas from these British 60s music weeklies where they would sit John Lennon down and say hey you know give us your top five songs so I would like take some local musician friends and I'd be like I had this column called fly me to the moon and I'm like hey I'm sending you to the moon what five songs are you gonna bring and why you know and I would get you know the, the lead singer for a local band called the swing and neck breakers and he'd write some like hysterical response you know and, <laughs> and stuff like that and so you know hey if, if it's a good idea you know it's certainly worth reusing I think you know True. no shame and then what was the process of you creating a zine, by the way? I'm, now that you bring um, it up again. 
I met these guys uh, in northern New Jersey who had this uh, mod band called Mod Fun. I met them in 1984 because my local college radio station, uh, WPRB in Princeton, was playing their single to death. And I met these guys, and they lived in northern New Jersey. They were these like, three mod guys called Mod Fun, and they had one of them had this fanzine. I had never seen a fanzine before. Um, you know, I lived in bum fuck, excuse me, New Jersey. You know, where it's like. I got rock and roll magazines or British music weeklies every now and again, and that was it, fanzine. So I discovered this, and my friend Rudy and I were like, we got to get in on this, and you know, off it went. You know, he had a fanzine with me called Stranger Than Fiction, and I wanted to do my own thing, so I did this fanzine called Smash Blocked, which is essentially no more than the, the father of anorak thing you know my blog it's you know the, the same same practice the same tradition the same subject for the most part you know that's fantastic yeah. i mean what was uh like besides a couple of interviews i mean it was also just like uh band reviews or just history like what else did the zines contain originally um all sorts of really inaccurate articles on bands from days gone by um <laughs> gig reviews, interviews with new bands, uh, album reviews of both current music or maybe reissues. Um, it's a great deal of tongue in cheek stuff. You know, these, the music profiles where I would ask, I had this thing called Mod on the Spot where I would just get some mod from, there'd be a guy from Spain or Italy or a woman from New York City and the same thing, like I'd ask them like a, a variety of questions like what's your favorite film, what's your favorite book, what's your favorite band, what's your favorite drink and and I'd have these profiles and this, you know, picture of a person, you know, dressed to the nines or however they wanted me to see them and, you know, it was a lot of fun for a while, you know, spell like errors included. What was the process like uh, printing it? like? How, how did you go about it? We just, it was all laid out on these uh, really archaic uh, pieces of paper that had these light blue graph patterns that you lined everything up on that were invisible to the camera. And you'd have to get photographs. You'd have to spend a ton of money to get these processed black and white photos called halftones made out of dots. And I did all of this like literally cut and paste with an X-Acto knife and glue on my mother's dining room table. You know, and then I'd use rub on letters for headlines. And sometimes if I was close to printing and I needed something, I'd write something on Sharpie, you know, like PS, you know, and and I'd take it to a commercial printer and they would, you know, charge me a fortune. And at first I used to have them collate it, you know, and then the, the last two issues I did on a friend's printer, which was nightmarish, like on his copy machine that he had. And, uh, and then I had to stay, staple them all together. And I realized that the stapler, I had to buy it, like the stapler that looked like pliers, you know, cause, cause the fanzine's um, that thick. And I'm just like, all right, I bit off more than I can chew. Yeah. <laughs> no, it still sounds fantastic. I love the, I mean, I guess cause my roots are very much like punk oriented. Like I love the DIY, you know, like I love seeing people, you know, when there's a will, there's a way type of deal. Mm -hmm. And I mean, do you still have any, left like do you still have some in in the archives or oh yeah yeah i have uh in fact as i mentioned earlier this guy sam Nee, who has this uh uh instagram page seen in between and has done a couple of books sam is always on me to like scan them and digitize them and put them on my blog and i keep telling him i'm going to um i do have issues of all of them i did i think a total of i did three 
in, uh, nope, I'm lying. I did four in the eighties and then two in the nineties. And, uh, I still have like one copy of each, you know, like I don't have doubles of any of them. Um, mm -hmm. one of the one, one of the ones I have, I actually had to like make it for myself at work on the sly because I could, I only had the original, like, you know, sheets that were printed. So I had to take it and recreate one because I didn't even have one left, you know? Yeah. I will say, uh, if you do digitize them and you uh, do make these copies, I would be willing to buy a couple of copies off of you. Uh, just putting it out there. Oh, wow. Also putting some pressure on you to do it. <laughs> no, well, if I do them, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to just put them on there and they'll be up and, you know, free for anybody to, to look at or download or do whatever they want with, Aww. you know, I didn't make any money on them then. I'm certainly not concerned with making any money for them now, but you know, I had a friend a long time ago suggest that I should put, uh, get a book, put these in a book and, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't know if they're that good. I can't imagine the, the market for that, but. I'm not going to lie. I, uh. For my selfish reasoning, it's like I would want it in my personal library. It's like I think it's just so fascinating based on what you told me. It's like these interviews with these local bands and, you know, I know I'm, I'm a big fan of like not letting these little things get lost in time where it's like, no, like I want to like talk to these local artists and just kind of highlight them because they're just little hidden gems. Based on how you described it, like I'm a, I'm a fan of it already. Oh, thank you. It, it also goes to the fact of, you know, and I'm sure this is true, like you said, you're interested in punk rock, like any musical genre, there's always going to be these stories that get told so many times and so far out of whack, they become truth. And I think it's always great to, when you can, and especially when you find your niche, to like get to the people that were involved in this and like you said, have like a record of it and so that it's, you know, a credible source of information as opposed to these like oft-told you know, rock and roll misnomers. Like there's a ska song called My Boy Lollipop, you know, and for years it was, oh, Rod Stewart plays harmonica on it. And it turns out it's, you know, not Rod Stewart at all, but you know, hey, nobody knew that until the guy who played on it finally came forward and said, no, that was not Rod Stewart. That was me with oh, Ernest Wranglin, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's fantastic. Sorry, rambling. No, 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 don't be. I mean, I think I didn't know that. I think that's fantastic. So thank you. Um, if anything, I just might need to hold you hostage again so you, can, so you can like share more stories like that. My head is full of useless information, so. <laughs> You're not alone, I'm there with you. This is your captain, prepare for takeoff. to glide in my beautiful balloon we could float among the stars together you and i well we can fly well we can fly i mean up and away in my beautiful my beautiful Place in my beautiful balloon. 
Don't you know that it wears a nicer face in my beautiful balloon? We can sing a song and sail along the silver sky. Didn't I say we would fly? Yes, we can fly. I mean, up, up and away in my beautiful, my beautiful Suspended under a twilight canopy We'll search the clouds for a star to guide us If by some chance you find yourself loving me, dig Now cut it right there, now Now sock it to me, B Love is waiting there in my beautiful balloon Way up in the air in my beautiful balloon If you hold my hand we'll chase your dreams across the sky
don't have any other questions for you other than what advice do you have for budding artists? Yeah. As in musicians, you mean, or? Could be musicians, could be writers, just vinyl collectors, anything really. Um, well, as far as musicians go, I don't think I qualified to speak on that because as I mentioned earlier, I, I don't really, I never really considered myself a musician. Um, as far as like, I think anything, and again, this goes back to no matter what genre you're into, and this has been true for me for every genre I've, I, I'm into, because I listen to so many different types of music. Most of them are in the 60s, but you know, there's always gonna be really basic stuff, but I'm, I've always been the guy who's just, I wanna dig beyond the basic stuff, you know? Like when I was a kid, I got interested in the monkeys and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And as time went on, I started discovering bands that, you know, weren't as big, but still bigger. And then as time went on even further than that, I started digging into um, like American and British 60s bands that no one ever heard of. And, and I think that can be true of every genre. And I think that, you know, I think it's, I, I hate to sound like a crotchety old man, but I think it's a lot easier now because when I was 14 years old, you know, I had to rely on what I could find you know, in the library, you know, and books, or occasionally when I got a little older, like go on microfilm and find, you know, once it's a blue moon, there'd be some article that you could find, you know, find an article on the 60s band of pretty things in Life magazine, you know, or, you know, something like that. And now you just Google it, it's there. You can, you can find interviews with band members, you can find their discographies, you know, back then it was, I don't know, it's like being in this secretive club where everybody had to just pass information on to each other through word of mouth or through obscure publications, which is, you know, where the fanzine thing comes. So I think if, if you're interested in anything, that, you know, the beauty of, of this horrible internet is that all the information is there, you know? You can go on YouTube. Like I remember buying records in the 80s, like just because they looked cool. And I so wish at the time with my limited pocket money, there was YouTube to go and play it and be like, oh God, this isn't what it looks like, you know? Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I'm sorry, I get very nostalgic about these things. No, 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 don't apologize. Um... I, I loved everything that you just said. And to kind of piggyback off of that is, I mean, to the listeners, it's like, definitely dig. I am currently reading uh, Smile, You're Traveling by Henry Rollins. And he mentions a music critic of Peter Gurlnick. And I was like, oh wait, like, who's this? Like just digging further. And I ended up buying three of Peter Gurlnick's uh, books. And I actually have one on my desk right now. It's Sweet Soul Music. Uh, rhythm and Blues and Southern Dream of Freedom. So I'm excited to read this. And it's like, you just, you never know what you're gonna come across. And, you know, just by digging a little further and, you know, you just don't know what you might learn. You don't know what kind of people you might come across. And that's what makes life interesting is that, you know, you're willing to put in the little bit of effort and you just like might hit that gold mine. You're like, you did it. Like you found something amazing. Um, it's, it's still there, you know, there's this, I'm always amazed that people from foreign countries are constantly turning me on to American 60s bands. Like there's there's this couple I know in Spain, a couple of folks from two two or three different folks from Japan who I follow on Instagram and they'll post a picture of some, you know, really cool jazz or blues record and I go listen to it on YouTube. And I'm like, I have to have this. And then I go to Discogs and it's like, you know, 
there's one copy and it's VG minus and it's $400, you know? And I'm just mm. like, this is crazy that people in foreign countries are like consistently teaching me about my own, you know, my own music, my own culture. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's, I, again, that goes back to the whole beauty of the internet where it's like, we do that, we do have this opportunity to like connect and create this, you know, beautiful community where we share music and share cultures and I mean, I I do sometimes feel like, yeah, the internet is a dumpster fire and it's like, fuck, you know, like I want to get out. But <laughs> those little moments, like just right now, like talking to you, like when I came across you, I was like, holy shit, like this is amazing. And I'm so grateful that we, that we crossed paths. And yeah, you know, like as, as far as like digging through records, I've done it a couple of times where, you know, like I won't go on YouTube to like hear the song, but I'm like, oh, well, the album's like, looks interesting. And you know, it's like a, a dollar or two. And I was like, well, I mean, it's just a buck or two. And if yep. it sucks, I mean, at least it makes it a cool story or like I'll find something that I like. So it's, yeah, like definitely dig through those like cheap bins cause you don't know whether or not you might like something. And it's like, sometimes, I don't know, it's like being surprised is nice. Like you don't have to research everything. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I buy lots of stuff based on, you know, like, okay, this looks, familiar or this okay I've got a bunch of stuff on this label you know like I'm really into this American label called Sue who did a lot of like blues jazz R&B soul and I got this record on Sue and I took a chance on it it was so bizarre because it wound up almost being this like hot rod rockabilly instrumental which I'm like okay this is you know it's not really my genre but I'm like okay this is worth taking the chance you know chance for you know because I'll just buy it it's on Sue it's got to be good you know yeah no, see, I mean, again, you just never know what you might discover. Um, but I mean, I don't have any other questions for you. I mean, unless you had a couple of final words for listeners. No, I feel like I've taken up far too much of your time and been far too long-winded to, to blather on anymore. You want you want to attract listeners, not scare them away. So <laughs> hopefully you edit a lot of this out. Uh, oh, no, far from it. It's all staying in. <laughs> okay, well, well you were warned. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me a bit of your time. I really appreciate it. The offer still stands if you do want to come back in the future and just share music knowledge that you have. Oh, I'd be absolutely honored to. Thank you so much. And thank you for reaching out to me and, and you know, taking the time to put this up there. It's been it's been fun. I'm sorry again if I've gone on forever. This is this is oh, pretty no. new. I, and I think I still have like PTSD from doing Zoom calls during like quarantine. So, so this <laughs> is kind of an interesting throwback. So yeah, I'm sorry for the PTSD then. <laughs> no, no, no. I said I said that in humor. I'm sorry. Just kind of <laughs> laugh right. out of this thing. But all right, guys. Tune in until next week. <laughs>